Lucas, it is uh, it is time, my friend. It is time. We move on to the third conference in our uh, our season preview here, and it's the Conference of Champions, and it is the conference that has dominated college football the last handful of years. The reigning national champion, the last three national. Cha- Wait, sorry, hang on. That's the SEC. I'm sorry. I- <laughs> wrong notes. I looked at the wrong notes. I'm so sorry. We're talking Pac-12 today. Let me just completely erase that. Uh, how are you, buddy? How how are you? I'm doing very well. I'm happy to be actually recording back in my home. We're not three hours apart, back to our only two-hour yep. difference. But uh, but no, doing well. We're only we're literally a month out from yesterday. We're a month out from week zero when we get our first set of college football games. I'm excited. We've already made it through. Uh, Two of these uh, conference previews. I always like doing the the Pac-12 just because we get you know your expertise enrolled, yeah. and it's a it's a turbulent time for the Pac-12. We who knows in two years we might not even be if we're still making this podcast if we're even doing a Pacific Coast Conference review at all. Well, you know you're right in the heart of Pac-12 country, being right in Nashville. You're right in between California and New Jersey, so you're right in the heart of Pac-12 country. Or I should say, you know, Big Ten country. Big Ten country. Now that, now that USC and UCLA are uh, are leaving the conference, so what? We've we we have got two more years with USC and UCLA, and then they're gone. And we're not going to get into the realignment stuff. Big Ten media days happened earlier in the week, and it's a this whole conference is in turmoil. I mean, you you have the should they merge with another conference are certain teams going to get picked off are certain teams going to you know move down to like a mountain west it's a mess i don't want to get too much into it but it's it's a really interesting time for the conference on and off the field yeah and i think and going like kind of a just kind of a an overview general overview it's just interesting with the on the field stuff we have a ton of new head coaches in this league um, especially at your at your premier programs like Oregon and USC, and it, the the bottom of this tier or the bottom tier is also interesting because few teams specifically that that we'll talk about like ASU or Stanford, they could be bowl eligible or they could be really really bad. Right. Um, and there's a handful of teams in this conference that are kind of like that. Yeah, it's a really interesting time in this conference. Utah is your reigning conference champions and. The uh, funny enough, the preseason Pac-12 media poll was uh, released just a couple of hours before we we pressed record here. I'll just go through it quickly, and then you can give me your thoughts. Utah finishes one; they get twenty six first place votes to win the conference. Oregon finishes second, USC third, UCLA fourth. How about Oregon State and Jonathan Smith up in fifth? Washington, Washington State six seven, and then rounding out the conference, Stanford, Cal. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado. Also very interesting how the the schools kind of are geographically placed, right? You have the two LA schools, three, four. You have the two you have uh, Washington, Washington State, six, seven, the Bay Area schools, eight, nine, and the Arizona schools, ten and eleven. But Lucas, quickly before we dive into team by team, your just kind of quick thoughts on the uh, Pac twelve media preseason poll. Yeah, I don't think uh, Utah being picked number one is, is shocking at all. Obviously, the, the reigning champs who return just a, a plethora of the coaches. They're maybe the one major program that, that doesn't have any sort of large turnover. Um, am surprised a little bit with Oregon. Uh, definitely thought they would be in the top tier, but 
Um, with their coaching change, they also lose um, a good number of contributors from last year. Um, really, really was surprised that they finished um, ahead of USC, who I think is kind of the, obviously the most interesting team. But as you mentioned, um, brutal, brutal uh, picks for if you live in the, in the beautiful state of Arizona. Um, I, look, Arizona being 11th does not shock me at all. This is going to be another rebuild year for them. But man, oh, man, I mean, we'll get into ASU in a little bit with the issues. But I think it just shows what <laughs> – just kind of the, the the environment around that program and everything. People are just not expecting good things. I was a little surprised to see Arizona 11 and not 12, to be honest. I think that just yeah. goes to show you kind of how much Colorado's lost. Um, you know, Carl Durrell had kind of a surprise year in 2020. And then last year they were, they were you know, pretty bad. So let's, uh, let's jump into a team by team here. And, and we'll start actually with the highest win total in the Pac-12, and that's USC. USC's win total at 9.5 at FanDuel. Uh, Lincoln Riley kind of shocks the college football world when he leaves Oklahoma for USC, and he brings with him a bevy of transfers, 16 new transfers with this, including some of the more high-profile ones. Caleb Williams, who comes over from Oklahoma as their uh, as the quarterback. Jordan Addison, the uh, uh, Bolitnikoff winner from Pitt. Travis Dye, who was Oregon's leading rusher last season. You also got some guys on defense, obviously. But, Lucas, we touched on this a little bit with Miami, just the new era of college football. There is no rebuilding. You are retooling. And with the transfer portal and with Lincoln Riley's pedigree, especially on offense, this is a team that is going to be led by offense, uh, led by transfers on yeah. offense. If you look at Mario, uh, Mario Williams from Oklahoma, Brendan Rice from Colorado. They're going to have a lot of contributors that were not contributing last season. Um, a little surprise, the over-under is this high. They were 4-8 and eight in 2021. Uh, your thoughts on the USC Trojans in 2022? Yeah, I think, it's, uh, I think it's a unique experiment that we're kind of seeing. I think we've seen teams kind of in the lower tier of the Power Five or in the group of five that really go hard in the transfer portal. This was really the first time we saw like a true blue blood build pretty much its entire roster. I think if you looked at like the 24 seven composite for high school recruiting, they only had the 70th ranked recruiting class in the country. Um, but they had the number one overall transfer recruiting thing, which brought if you combine transfers in high school, they had the six best <laughs> recruiting class in the country. And as you mentioned, it wasn't just like they were bringing in guys to fill spots in this roster. They brought in dudes who were some of the best at their positions last year. As you mentioned, Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison, who was the Blitnikoff winner at Pitt last season. They even brought in Travis Dye, who was the leading rusher at, on a very good Oregon team last year. Um, but it is going to be interesting to see because if they have success right away, what's going to stop other programs from potentially implementing this? And is this something that USC wants to do year after year? Or is this just because you had a first time head coach, a lot of roster transfer. I think I saw that 40 guys that were on this roster last year or no longer on uh, at USC. So. I uh, think, I gonna, yeah, I uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah. So is this just a one-time thing that USC does or if they have, you know, if they have success, is this something that they're going to continue to utilize year after year? I think no coach will go on the record and say, we want to build our team through the transfer portal. 
Yeah. Um, it diminishes what you do in high school recruiting, which is still kind of the bulk of how you build your roster. Um, but for like, I think for USC, it's just like the perfect storm. You have a hot, hot head coach that produces great quarterbacks and great offenses coming to a blue blood school in Los Angeles. You know, if you're Jordan Addison, you also factor in NIL, right? But if you're Jordan Addison, why would you not want to go and catch, catch passes from Caleb Williams yeah. in Lincoln Riley's offense in Southern California for your final collegiate season, right? If you're Travis Dye and your head coach leaves to take the Miami job and you enter the portal, why would you not want to go to USC? If you're Eric Gentry, who is a freshman All-American, and you're dealing with what Arizona State is dealing with, why would you not want to go and play at USC? So I don't know if you will see the number of impact transfers in the coming years that you see this year, but especially a quarterback, we're seeing a lot of transfers come in and contribute right away and be really good. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're Caleb Williams, like I know there was, you know, we talked about Wisconsin was maybe a, a dark horse to get him or people speculated maybe Miami or, you know, whatever. This always made sense. I mean, it always made sense to, to follow the coach that he committed to play for out of high school, the coach that developed Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray into number one overall picks and develop Jalen Hurts into a second round pick and who's now a starting quarterback. So I, I totally get it. My, my guess is you will not see this volume, the, the, this amount of transfers with USC, but that's also because they're going to recruit really well. They got a ton of talent in Southern California, Chip Kelly and UCLA. They're not known to be really dogged like recruiters and really build through four and five stars. They're more of a developmental program. Oregon, really went well with Mario Cristobal, but now you, he's gone. So there's a lot of opportunities for USC to own the West Coast, and I think you will see them do that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point, just because, um, as you mentioned, when they're rolling, they, this should be a, a program that should be able to get top five recruiting classes out of high school year in and year out. Um, but I do think it, it could be a blueprint, maybe potentially for other programs that see themselves, you know, you know, in the similar situation where they hire, you know, a big time head coach and they want a quick rebuild and want to win um, right away. But um, so, yeah, so I think this is why it's the exciting team. It is kind of crazy to see a team get predicted at nine and a half wins when they won four last year, but um, can't really argue. Why. I think that also talks a lot about some of the other teams in this conference um, on just how one year they can have this big thing. But you know, I think the thing with USC that I do worry about, I think their offense is going to be fun as hell to watch this year. Um, yeah. Obviously with the, the names we mentioned, but they also return a bulk on their offensive line that only allowed, I think, 18 sacks all season last year. Um, so it should be one of the better offensive lines in the Pac-12. But this defense was, was terrible um, a season ago. It should show signs of improvement, but I think last year you know, they – gave up about 31 points per game. It was actually the worst, I think it was the second worst output in program history for points per game that they, that they gave up. So I do think they're going to have some issues on that side of the ball. Um, you know, that being said though, I, I think they're going to be able to win a lot of shootouts. I think this is going to be very similar to the, the teams that we saw Lincoln Riley have at Oklahoma where they were able to just outscore you. And if their defense was just like, average to below average they were going to win most of their games the schedule also sets up nicely here as as we'll kind of wrap up the trojans here so the over under at fanduel sportsbook nine and a half over is minus 120 the under is plus value at plus 100 
I think one of the reasons why the number is nine and a half, which is the the uh, the largest number in the conference, the schedule is pretty favorable. At a conference, you get Rice, Fresno State, and Notre Dame all at home. The Pac-12 home slate, you get ASU, Washington State, Cal, Colorado. On the road, they'll go to Stanford, Oregon State, Utah, Arizona, and UCLA. So your four games out of the Pac-12 North, Washington State, Cal, Oregon State, and Stanford, you miss Washington and Oregon, who are the two teams that have the highest win totals projection in the Pac-12 North. And again, there's no Pac-12 North and South anymore for like division purposes. We're still going to call it that for this year, but just know that um, two teams from the South, two teams from the North can play in the conference championship game. So Lucas, nine and a half, um, your thoughts on the over or the under? Yeah, I'm going over for really the same uh, reasons you you went over for you know, not having to play Oregon or Stanford. I mean, you look at their you look at their schedule, and really, I think the only game that they might be underdogs in is that game at Utah. Um, otherwise, you know, I think they're tough. Besides that, their toughest game, in my opinion, on their schedules at Notre Dame. And that's at the end of the year, um, which I think by that point, obviously, I think all the transition, you know, the, the offense will be kind of fully rolling at that point. Who knows? Maybe they make some adjustments on defense, but I'm really liking the over. I'm pretty high on USC. Like I said, I think the defense is going to be an issue, but I think with the teams that they're playing, I think they can overcome that just with the sheer amount of firepower they're going to have on offense. So initially I put over on my sheet. And as I, I did USC first, so as I looked through the conference, I ended up going under. Um, mm. I think they lose at Utah. I think they split at UCLA and Notre Dame. So that's two losses. And then I, I just think they there's one other loss on the schedule somewhere. Um, maybe it's Washington State. Maybe it's at Oregon State. Maybe it's, maybe it's um, you know, Colorado or Cal. I don't know. I just kind of played – the the numbers game of first year coach a lot of new pieces just everywhere right a lot of new pieces on offense a lot of new pieces on defense like you said the defense can we think they're gonna can we count on them to stop people I think nine and three or ten and two are the most realistic scenarios and it wouldn't surprise me to see USC in the title game but I, I think nine and three is a little bit more likely than ten and two but I don't love it like I'm not gonna bet the I'm not gonna bet the under but I went under uh, nine and a half, but I don't love it just because like wouldn't surprise me if they're 11 and one, like well, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if they're competing for the college football playoff just because of how stacked on paper this team is. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I just think bringing in, you know, a very competent and one of the best coaches in in college football and Lincoln Riley, I think that they can make that switch um, very quickly, but you know, we'll see. I think nine and three would still be a successful season for them, all in all, going from four to nine and three, becoming more relevant, and then maybe making next year your your big year to move. But um, but no, should be. I think uh, I don't think we're really going to know kind of how good this team is. I think at Oregon State is really their probably their first real test um, coming in. But um, no, it yeah. should be a much improved year for USC. All right, the reigning Pac-12 champion, the Utah Utes, uh, 17 starters back from that breakthrough 2021 team. How fun was that Rose Bowl that they played against Ohio State? They ended up losing 45-42. Cam Rising, the quarterback, is back after starting the last 11 games of the season. Uh, They also get their top running back, uh, Tavion Thomas. 
He returns as well. Uh, a couple key losses on defense, especially at linebacker with Devin Lloyd uh, and Nephi Soul. Um, Lucas, one of the things I had written down and one of the things that I read about in their state of the program on The Athletic is the hunter versus the hunted. And, you know, Utah finally broke through and won the conference last year. And they are, by the preseason media poll, kind of the heavy favorite to, you know, repeat. They got 26 mm-hmm. first place votes. What is that mindset now for this program? Does it make them hungrier? Do they have, do, do they want to prove the doubters wrong that maybe said, well, you only won the league because, you know, USC was down and, and because, you know, Oregon was down a little bit, like whatever. Um, I'm interested to see how they respond after, because this has been arguably the most consistent program in the league, maybe besides Oregon, the last handful of years. Uh, and Kyle Whittingham finally got them kind of over the hump in 2021, got them to a Rose Bowl, got them a conference championship. Um, and now there are expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a, a really good question. I think for me, I just, if it goes back to kind of the culture that you built. And I think with Kyle Whittingham, he has seen kind of the highs and lows of this program. They've seen the highs when they won a PCS bowl. It's a mountain West team. And then the lows, it took them a few years to kind of adjust to playing in the power five. Um, but now that they have it, I think, I think Utah just isn't a really good, uh, really good situation. I think that they, I think they always play with a chip on their shoulder, regardless of what the expectations are. It's very similar. I feel like to, to big 10 programs like Wisconsin and Iowa, where they always feel, even if they're getting high expectations, they always feel there's kind of a knock against them. Um, and especially, I think they're going to be using, uh, you know, losing a guy like, like Devin Lloyd last year, who in that state of the program, they were, you know, Kyle Williams said he was probably the best defensive player in the history of his program. Um, and I think they're going to use that as kind of fuel that, you know, last year wasn't just a fluke. We've seen them be good in years past, but I do think with the type of culture that they've developed, um, that they're still going to play with that chip on their shoulder every time, uh, in this league, especially because, you know, you look at the situation we're talking about realignment. I think you know Utah is kind of in a, a really interesting scenario where I, we could see them getting snatched up by another conference because of how good they've been. Or it wouldn't shock me if they were back in like the Mountain West or something like that if the Pac-12 went um, went broke. So um, I do think they're they're going to be situated, especially with the amount they return on defense and on offense too. They're going to play Smash Mouth football with Tavion Thomas. So I actually really like this Utah team. Yeah, you know, I think Utah should be really a, a valuable commodity for any conference. I mean, you're in a major city. It's really easy to get to. You have a ton of – I mean, they have great fan support there. Like, that mm-hmm. is the one Pac-12 program. I went to both Utah ASU games in Salt Lake City when I was when I was in college. They love Utah football there because they have one pro team. It's the Jazz. There's no other NFL team. Yep. Uh, there's no other football team there. So th- those games are are great. It is, a, is as close to an SEC Big Ten atmosphere um, as you will get. Back to Utah here on the field. One thing I, I one thing that I um, I wrote down, Utah offense in 2021, how about this? 3,000 passing yards, 35, uh, 3,035 rushing yeah. yards. That is balance right there. Mm-hmm. Um, they return 83% of their passing yards, 73% of their rushing yards, 70% of their receiving yards. You have to replace Devin Lloyd. Uh, you have three starters back in the secondary. Um, the over-under is at eight and a half. The over minus 160. The under is plus 135. Um, 
at a conference. How about week one at Florida? That's going to be a great one. Billy Napier's first game, Utah going to the swamp. It's a big game for the conference. It's a big game for Utah. They also get Southern Utah and San Diego State. San Diego State, by the way, I'm convinced, plays eight Pac-12 teams this year somehow. I swear. (laughs) I swear, like, every every Pac-12 team plays San Diego State this year. Um, The home conference schedule includes Oregon State, USC, Arizona, Stanford. Uh, Pac-12 road schedule is ASU, UCLA, Washington State, Oregon, and Colorado. Uh, I'm going to take the over eight and a half. It's pretty easy for me. I think this is a nine or ten win team. I think the floor is like nine and three. I do think they beat Florida week one. If you lose that game, kind of surprisingly, maybe you can go down to eight and four. Um, you have some tough road games. You got to go at UCLA. You got to go at Washington State and at Oregon. So the 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 Pac-12 schedule isn't super forgiving. You do get USC at home, which I think is big because I think that's your toughest competition to probably uh, finish first in the conference. But I'm going to take the over. I, I, I think, you know, like a Wisconsin, like an Iowa, I think he made a great point, like, it, they're just super consistent. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a program that knows who it is. It's a program that's that that, that they, like they're not trying to recruit the five stars and they're not trying to win signing day. They're trying to win games in the fall, and and they do it really really well. So I think this is a nine and three, ten and two team that's probably going to find itself in Vegas playing for a Pac twelve championship. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I'm taking the over on this. I was actually surprised it was as low as it was. Um, I mean, this was a team, I mean, maybe we're nervous about them getting off to a slow start like they did last year when they started off one and two. Um, but I just don't see it. And I think the thing that's going to benefit them is both they're great in the trenches, both on the offensive line, return a lot on the defensive line. Um, and like you said, pretty manageable getting USC at home. They get Oregon. I'm not too worried about Oregon because we saw them play Oregon twice last year. Basically, <laughs> twice last year. Yeah, and as I mentioned, that offensive line loves to push people around. I think I saw, you know, a crazy stat. It said um, last year, in their last nine games, they only allowed four sacks and they averaged over 240 yards running the football. Um, and with the bulk of that offensive line coming back, yes, I really, really like the over. And as you mentioned, I like them in the Pac-12 title game with probably a good chance to win it this year. Yep. All right, moving on to UCLA. The other, uh, the Big Ten UCLA Bruins. They're entering their second to last season in the conference. An eight and four season for Chip Kelly's squad last year. Kind of a breakthrough year for UCLA. They had the big win over LSU in week one. They smacked around USC uh, in the, uh, the battle for Los Angeles. Ended up having their bowl game canceled. They were in the Holiday Bowl against NC State. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson is back after almost throwing for 2,500 yards last season. Um, they also get Zach Charbonnet back, their leading rusher, the former Michigan transfer. He, has a, he had 1,137 yards and 13 touchdowns uh, last season. Uh, Lucas, your thoughts on the, uh, the fight in Chip Kelly's, the, uh, the UCLA Bruins? Yeah, I think the thing that's interesting about UCLA, um, they kind of went the same route a little bit as USC did. And they just brought in a ton of transfers um, to, to plug up a lot of holes, as you mentioned, um, um, especially on the offensive line, um, but also at wide receiver. They brought in Jake Bobo, um, who was the leading receiver at Duke, had over 700 receiving yards for not a very good team last year. Uh, and I think this is a, a team that, you know, had a breakthrough season under Chip last year. And I think the schedule actually sets up, especially in the non-conference, 
sets up really, really nicely for them. But um, no, I see this as a team, probably kind of the same issues I kind of have with USC. I think their offense um, should be pretty good. As you mentioned with, with Zach Charbonnet should be okay on the offensive line. Um, it is defense that, you know, just a little bit worried about. Um, they did bring in a couple transfers. Um, they did bring in Hawaii's leading tackler, Darius uh, Musau, um, at linebacker. Also brought in uh, Wyoming transfer, Azizi Earn. Will that be enough um, to kind of stop some of the offenses uh, like Utah and USC that they do have on the schedule? Um, I'm not sure. So kind of the same things. Um, I just don't know if they're going to be as explosive offensively, but still a lot to like, I think, about UCLA. I kind of find this, I, I kind of look at UCLA like a hybrid between USC and Utah. Like they are as physical as Utah is. They averaged over 200 yards on the ground last year, but they also scored 36 and a half points a game, kind of like a USC should do this year. So they can score. They just score in different ways. Dorian Thompson Robinson, Zach Charbonnet kind of just bring back a physical run game, a physical attack. Um, you mentioned a lot, a lot of transfers on defense. Uh, I'll mention a couple more Gabriel and Grace and Murphy from North Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, they also have a new defensive coordinator, Bill McGovern. Uh, you know, U- US, uh, UCLA last year allowed 44% on third down over 260 passing yards a game. Not great defensively, um, but it was good enough to go eight and four. And if you look at this schedule here, um, the at a conference, Lucas, it's it's tough. It's uh, you got two, you got two Alabama schools and Bowling Green. Now, the good news for UCLA is it's Alabama State and South Alabama. Um, they get Bowling Green, Alabama State, South Alabama. You like UCLA zagged when everyone else was zigging. Everyone's like, we're going to play North Dakota State and, and yeah. San Diego State and Boise and all these tough West Coast teams. And, UCLA is like, no, that's like, that's not for us. Like we're going to play Alabama state. We'll, we'll pay South Alabama to fly across the country. We'll, 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 you know, play Bowling Green. Forget that. Um, they also get five PAC 12 home games. Mm-hmm. They have eight home games in general, all three of their non-conference games at home, five conference games at home. They get Washington, Utah, Stanford, Arizona, USC at home on the road. They get Oregon, Colorado, ASU, and Cal. The over-under is set at 8.5 from FanDuel Sportsbook. The over, minus 115. The under, minus 105. And I and I, I took the over because I think they have a lot of experience back. They have their, their starting quarterback back. They have their starting running back returning. And the schedule's pretty easy. You get eight yeah. home games, you know. I mean, and one of your road games is at Colorado. You play at ASU, and we'll get to them next. I think they're going to be a complete and utter shit show. <laughs> I'll just be honest right now. You get Cal on the road as well. So you have three very manageable road games. And I, I, I don't know if like UCLA is going to finish better than USC or better than Utah, but UCLA it's, it's set up there. The stars have aligned on the schedule for them to get nine or, or even 10 wins this season. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that too. Um, largely because of that schedule, even though now I'm a little bit freaking out because I have the top three teams <laughs> In the Pac-12 South. Yeah, see, now, now you know why I had to change USC to under, because I thought the same thing. <laughs> but as you mentioned, like eight home games, um, they should be 3-0 and um, going in there. And as you mentioned, at Colorado, there's a good chance for that Utah game that they are 5-0 and um, before they host the Utes, which could be a huge game. Um, then they get the bye week, then have to go to Oregon. But 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, I think it's going to, I think just because the experience they bring back offensively, um, they did lose a couple starters on the offensive line, but I think with a quarterback like, uh, like DTR, I mean, if things can break down and he can still be very, very productive um, as a quarterback. And um, I also just trust uh, Chip Kelly as well. So I'm going to go with the over as well. All right. So, you know, we looked at the three top teams in the conference. You had a nine and a half and two eight and a half win totals. Now we jump down to five and a half. And it is the Arizona State Sun Devils. Lucas and I are, I'm an ASU alum. Lucas is an ASU quarter alum. Um, and it is one of the most dysfunctional programs, maybe in the entire country. Uh, they were eight and five last year, eight and four in the regular season, and they lost to Wisconsin in the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, five assistant coaches gone since last summer. Herm Everett's replaced both of his coordinators. And any player that contributed in a big way for Arizona State last year is gone. Jane Daniels, quarterback, gone to LSU. Eric Gentry, All-American linebacker, freshman All-American linebacker, gone to USC. Uh, three, Their top three receivers, Ricky Purcell, LB Bunkley-Shelton, Johnny Wilson, all gone. Um, they also lost a ton on defense to the draft. Chase Lucas gone. Uh, Jack Jones gone. Um, Jeremiah Lowelle gone. Their defensive lineman. Rashad White gone. Clearly, Lucas, things are going just swimmingly in Tempe. Um, I'm going to let you talk about ASU first and then you're going to have to hose me down after I finish. So go ahead. I'll try to keep it short because I, I feel like, uh, you might be talking for a little bit, but no, kind of, as you mentioned right there, the program is just not in great shape. And I just feel like every time Ray Anderson, the athletic director and Herm Edwards open your mouth, you just kind of feel worse and worse about where the program is going. Um, and the thing that stinks, it seems like that they're all kind of tied together. Like if, if one of them is gone, then all of them are gone. So it's just tough because when I still look at the roster, I think you bring in Emory Jones to replace Jane Daniels. I thought Emory Jones was fine last year at Florida. I think he's very capable of, of playing quarterback at the power five level. You, know, you also brought in, I think one of the, uh, I think could be an interesting transfer and, um, and forgive me if I mispronounce it, but uh, is it is it Zavian? Zavian uh, Valley? I believe I believe it's Zavian. Uh, but had over a thousand yards rushing uh, for Wyoming last year, so um, at least you get a productive back uh, to kind of fill there. Um, but as you mentioned, I mean, refill. I don't know who Emory Jones is really going to be throwing to with all the losses. And you lose three starters on the offensive line, um, and it sinks because that defense last year was pretty good. Um, I think I read it was the best, at least points wise, it was the best since 1997. So almost in uh, 15 or 25 years. Um, I don't know. Yeah, 20, uh, 25 years. That's crazy. Yeah. 1997 was 25 years ago, making me feel. But I think just looking at the roster, if I didn't know any of the off the field stuff, I would think, okay, this probably can be a bowl team this year. Maybe go basically what they've been under Herm Edwards, maybe win six to eight games. Um. That being said, that I just I, I'm I'm coin flipping on this team because, like I said, I think the roster could be okay to win six games, but does the people on the one benefit you had a lot of transfers? So if there was going to be give up with this program, would it? Ha- I think it would have happened. I don't know if it's going to happen with guys who actually decided to stay. Um, 
at the same time, with five new assistants and just a bad cloud overhanging, especially if the NCAA comes down with sanctions, maybe the middle of the season, which they love to do. Um, yeah, it's rough. But as and I feel like I hate everything that's happening in the program. I just can't imagine how, how you're feeling right now coming into the year. I think this year is going to be an unmitigated disaster on the field for this program. And I, 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 like I've seen a lot of people previewing the season kind of have the sentiments that, you know, you have had, well, you know, this could be a bowl team. It could be six and six. I just don't know how you get there when every single contributor on this team is gone. Right. I mean, they had a running back transfer to Ohio state to play linebacker. You, you lose your three top receivers. You lose your starting tight end, Curtis Hodges. You lose your three best offensive linemen. You lose your best defensive players. They have to return a ton in the secondary. Four starters gone in the secondary, both your starting cornerbacks. And it's not like you have recruited well at all. The 2021 recruiting class ranked 101st in the country for high school recruiting, and the 22 class was worse. I mean, recruiting has, has nosedived for this program. So you are not replacing the players that have left with players in your program. You had to go out and get transfers. They had to replace both coordinators. Donnie Henderson, their new DC, I read in the state of the program, was contemplating retirement. That's the thing you always want to hear with, with a guy taking over your defense. Then it, Herm Edwards hires Glenn Thomas from UNLV, who was the OC of UNLV. Lucas, if, 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 if I were to ask you who are the top 100 offenses in the country, I don't think UNLV is even among them. And you hired him? Because he was Matt Ryan's quarterback coach two years ago, I just I think this is a three or four win team, and 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 I think the bottom is going to fall out in twenty three and twenty four more so, like where the University of Arizona has been the last few years. I think that's where ASU is going, and I pity the next coach for this program because Ray Anderson and Michael Crow have completely dismantled everyone's faith in this program. They don't care about football. Every time Ray Anderson talks, he contradicts himself. Well, you know, we think the program's in the right direction. Right right direction where? What are you talking about, man? I think it's ridiculous. Um, just go under the over-under. Um, I, I, just, I just can't even focus anymore. Um, so FanDuel 5.5 is, is the over-under. The over minus 155, the under plus 130. Uh, at a conference, you got NAU. At Oklahoma State and Eastern Michigan, you do uh, you also have five Pac-12 road games at USC, at Stanford, Colorado, Washington State, Arizona. Then you uh, host Utah, Washington, UCLA, and Oregon State. Uh, Lucas, I will uh, I'll cede the floor a little bit while I while I check my blood pressure here. Why, <laughs> why over under five and a half. No, I think you know for me, I'm going to go under um, just because I think that so they have six games before they're by. And I think this is a crucial stretch because I think it's by far the toughest part of their schedule. You talked about going to Oklahoma State. I have that as a loss. You you do have Northern Arizona and Eastern Michigan. You should win those games, um, though nothing is guaranteed. But then you go, you, have, you host Utah, you're at USC, and then you have Washington, who I think is going to be much improved this year before you're by. And and my get my thing is if you start two and four heading into the bye, how many guys are going to be checked out at that point? Um, if you're at two and four, don't have much to play for the program, you know, there's, there's nothing good coming out of it. You know, do you guys at that bye week is that when I feel like during bye weeks is when you see guys at programs start to leave, go to the transfer portal, start to find other things. You know, does that happen there? 
If if it does, yeah, I think the under's a very, very safe bet. But I mean, if it doesn't, part of me is just like, they have a very favorable stretch here at Stanford, at Colorado. Then you, you do get UCLA, but then at Wazoo, Oregon State, and at Arizona, there's a chance, I think, you know, if the team sticks together after after that bye, there's maybe a chance that they could scratch off a few wins. That being said, I, I think five and seven um, is probably where I'm at with the team. So I'm going to go go under. Yeah, uh, I think obviously you know my my feelings, <laughs> but I think you make a great point, and it's a point that I was going to make too. Is this has the really difficult front of the schedule team is going to quit kind of formula here, right? I mean, you have three your three games in a row after Eastern Michigan, like you said, Utah at USC, Washington, you know, and if you're three and six with three games left and those games are at Washington state in November home against Oregon state and at Arizona. I mean, think about like the territorial cup, who is going to be more um, fired up to get a win Arizona at home when they've gotten slack the last two years by ASU or an ASU team. That's probably going to be four and seven or five and six. Yeah. Right. And, and Ray Anderson or, or Herm Edwards might be gone at, at, at that point. Right. Like I think this team will most likely quit because Lucas, you have a team of transfers. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have a team of guys that have no, no, like they haven't been here three or four years or they're from all across the country. Oh, like, you really think they're going to, they're going to band together for a coach that's going to be fired most likely regardless. Absolutely not. So anything else on ASU before we move on? I was going to ask you, so you kind of mentioned a coach probably getting fired at the end of the year. <laughs> I'm assuming, would you just rather they just implode this year, start fresh? Because I think the worst case scenario is is ASU goes like six and six. They make a bowl game, and then you have like Ray Anderson making a stump speech for Herm Edwards with all the distractions, everything. He was able to get this team to rally at the end of the season, and then Herm gets like a five-year extension afterwards. I mean... (laughs) What did you say? Five years... (laughs) up my water <laughs> hey who knows we've seen crazier stuff happen we saw scott frost get an extension last year when he had had a winning season yet but got water um, all over me i mean is that kind of where you're at is it just you just want them to kind of yeah, so in my head i think the only reason that her Edwards is still employed is because they know this season's going to be bad and they're just going to keep him and say you need to take the fall for this I'm surprised they haven't already instituted a bull ban or tried to get ahead of some of these sanctions. Um, and maybe they are with like limiting official visits or off campus recruiting, whatever. Like I wonder if they're waiting to start the season to institute a bull ban. Cause they know that all the other players will transfer to um, my, I have always thought that regardless of how ASU does this year, Herm is gone because of the recruiting investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they knew that with this investigation hanging over the program, they weren't going to get anyone who they thought could could save the program. Like you're not going to get any good candidate when when this goes on. So let's keep Herm. Let's have him take the fall. This year will be rough. We'll go four and eight. We'll fire Herm, or or Herm will just retire. Right? Like I could also see Herm being like, I'm going to step away, or whatever. They might try to give Herm a parachute and like a graceful exit. I could see that too. Um. If Herm is the coach this time next year, I mean, you're going to have a lot of angry Sun Devil fans. 
a lot of, and that's my, my, my only saving grace is I think Ray is, I think Ray understands that. Um, I, at least I hope he does. Yeah. He doesn't understand much, unfortunately, but like, <laughs> I hope he can understand how fractured this fan base is now and how just there's so much apathy for this year. Like yeah. there's just so much, like, I don't, I think you're going to see half full stadiums all the time. I don't think you'll see many fans sticking around later in the season. And I, I, I think this could get really, really ugly. And, and I just, and kind of just one last thing. I just think it's just so bad. Like it's just the worst timing with all the realignment and everything. Now I don't think yeah. the next two years are going to make or break whether a conference takes you, but you know, I think if, if you're looking to get a home, they want to know that there's something stable, that you're fully invested in the sport, that there is some upward trajectory, especially in a market like Phoenix. And if you're not, I just think that lessens the appetite well, for conferences wanting you. And I'll be honest, like ASU shouldn't be in a, a, a power conference. ASU doesn't care about football. They yeah. just don't. Like I'm I'm sorry. Like I've been around this program enough, especially recently. Michael Crow and Ray Anderson do not care about winning in football. And if you do not care about winning in football, you should not be in one of the big conferences. ASU, quite frankly, deserves to be in the Mountain West. Play San Diego State, play Fresno, play San Jose, play Hawaii. Like, fine. That, that's fine. Go play Boise, you know, every other year. Whatever. ASU, I'm sorry, does not deserve to have a seat at the table. They, they do not. They have not shown that they are committed to winning. They are not. They Like, Ray Anderson hired his former client, and they have kept him for five years. This is absolutely ridiculous that like we like it's that they just they're not committed to winning and michael crow doesn't care like he just michael crow doesn't care he he's they're trying to build office buildings everywhere now like who can like <laughs> michael crow doesn't care about athletics the reason why i'm a little surprised that herm is still there is because michael crow also doesn't like sanctions like he, yeah. he he wants his coaches to not get in trouble and this is as big of a black eye as asu has had recently yeah but i but i and that's why i think herm is still there because they're going to let Herm kind of fall on the sword and be like, all right, this is the year. Like you can't recruit because no one wants to come play for you and you're going to be really bad this year. And then we're going to work. You're like, you're going to resign in like air quotes, or you're going to like retire. And then that's it. So we'll have to do some more ASU talk uh, at some point. Later. Hey, we'll hey if anything, at least ASU, I don't think they can be as bad penalty wise as they were last year. That's true. That's true. <laughs> no, it's, you know what? Maybe the new coordinators will help because it's not like they were very, very well coached last year, like 124th in you know, penalty yards. <laughs> All right, let's move yeah, on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Colorado, four and eight in 2021 for Carl Durrell's squad. Um, and he shook things up quite a bit. Six new on field coaches. They have a new OC. 23 players lost in the transfer portal, including Lucas. Their leading rusher, two leading receivers, and three players in the secondary. So a lot of upheaval on the Colorado staff. A lot of upheaval on the Colorado on, on the field and a brutal schedule is not um, not a lot of stars aligning in 2022 for the Buffs. Yeah, no. And I don't think it's great that when you only I mean, they averaged 18, 18.8 points per game last year was the lowest since 2012 it was the worst offense in the Pac-12. And then you go and who you hire, you hire Mike Samford who got fired as the offensive coordinator at Minnesota last year. So I just, <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, they do get Brandon Lewis back, who did start for them last year. But, I mean, they do return a lot on the offensive line, but this offensive line was awful. Um, they had the largest sack rate in the Pac-12. Lewis was sacked 31 times. 
Um, and on the other side of the ball, they could not get to the quarterback at all. They had one of the worst sack rates defensively um, uh, a season ago, too. Now, it's just – it's tough. I think this is kind of the year zero scenario that probably Durrell should have had his first year there, where instead they, I think they kind of gave false hope with a 4-2 and two season during COVID. He won Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Um, once again, they also brought in some transfers because they lost quite a bit as well, including their top rusher, Jarek Broussard, who transferred to Michigan State. So I think this is another rebuilding year, and I don't know if Colorado fans are going to want to do that in year three of your head coach, but there's not a lot of positives here as well for Colorado. Yeah, on paper, this might be among the worst teams in the in the in 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 the entire conference. Them, yeah. Arizona, Arizona State, Stanford, probably. Um, we'll just kind of go quickly here. The out of conference again, for some reason, like difficult, difficult non-conference TCU at home at Minnesota at air force. You're probably going 0 and three, uh, pac 12 home slate, UCLA, Cal, ASU, Oregon, Utah on the road, uh, Arizona, Oregon state, USC and Washington, the over under three and a half, the over plus plus one forty five. A lot of value there. If you think they're going to win four or five games, the under, Minus 170. Lucas, quickly, uh, over under three and a half. I'm going under. Uh, like you mentioned, I mean, all three of those teams are playing in the non-conference, I think are good teams. You know, I'm high on TCU. I picked them to be in the pack or in the Big 12 championship game. You the did, yeah. Dykes. Um, Air Force is always going to win probably eight to nine games every single year. And having to play against the triple option, we just went over how not great. Colorado's defense was last year. And then you got to go on the road to Minnesota, a team that beat you 30 to nothing in Boulder a season ago. Um, and I just don't see, and then you're going to have to go three and six in conference play. Um, when you have, you know, you're obviously playing in the South, so you're going to get USC, UCLA in Utah, but then you also get Washington and Oregon state on the road. I just, I think, three and nine might be hopeful for this team. I'm just, I just read that state of the program and it was just kind of oddly depressing. Um, kind of like it's used and it sucks. Like Colorado has, you know, a good history, a good program. And once again, it looked like they were on the upswing with Mel Tucker. He leaves after one season. And I, like I said, I think this is just a, a, a year zero type scenario for called Doral and, I'm just kind of hoping they give them a couple more years because it's been rough these first three. Yeah, it's an under for me. You went four and eight last year, and you lost basically every important player uh, on your team, especially on 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 your offense. You're right. You do have Brendan Lewis back. They also got a Tennessee transfer, JT Shroud, at quarterback, and that might be a little competition. But I'm not very optimistic on Colorado. Uh, there's a reason they were picked last in the in the in the preseason media poll. So it's an under for me. I think a two and ten, three and nine season is um, is likely for the Buffs. All right, we we we, uh, we round out the Pac-12 South with the Arizona Wildcats, one and eleven in twenty twenty one. But I think a lot of positive momentum for Jed Fish and the and the Arizona Wildcats. They finished with a top twenty five recruiting class in twenty twenty two. Some high profile transfers, including Pac-12 Freshman of the Year. Uh, Jaden DeLora, who is, uh, comes over from Washington State to play quarterback. Um, also, UTEP transfer wide receiver Jacob Crowney was one of the more um, sought-after receivers 
in the transfer portal this year. You have a lot of returning production back on offense, including 83% of the rushing yards, led by Michael Wiley. Um, but as we'll get to in a minute, brutal schedule. Um, you went, you won one game in twenty in twenty twenty one. You lost to an FCS school. Um, but I think overall, I think Jed Fish is moving this program in the right direction. There's a lot of positive momentum, and it would not surprise me if Arizona took a pretty substantial jump in 2022. Yeah, I'm in agreement with you. It's kind of crazy just the complete different trajectories both programs in Arizona are taking. Obviously, you heard a rant about ASU. You obviously think that what U of A was last year, the year before, is basically what ASU is going to be. But yeah, I agree. I mean, they brought in the 22nd highest recruited or 22nd rated recruiting class after a one year or a one win season. Um, And before that, they didn't win a single game in the regular season the year before that in 2020. So with not a lot to sell, um, they were able to bring in good talent. We're going to see a lot of uh, those players probably play this year. Um, as you mentioned, um, you know, Jay and Delora, but they also, you know, got him, uh, Tataro, uh, McMillan, who was a top 50 recruit, um, at wide receiver, probably be able to be a good target for, for Delora to throw to, um, also, uh, Kenyon Burnett, um, should see a lot of playing time at the tight end position. Also another four-star recruit they brought in. So I think that's where it might hurt them. Uh, just a little bit. I think they have some nice pieces bringing back together. You mentioned all the um, at running back Wiley coming back, but they're going to be young. And I think if you're Arizona, this is kind of where you want to be. You bring in a good recruiting class and there's no pressure for you to win at all this year. I think if you win three or four games, you can kind of chalk that up as a good season. Meanwhile, you can bring in another great recruiting class and then your biggest rival is imploding. Um, and is kind of heading the complete different direction. So I agree with the trajectory. Um, I like the young players, um, but the schedule doesn't really set up, I think, greatly for them to probably go to a bowl game. This is so depressing. Um, as, as an ASU alum, sorry, this is uh, very depressing. The Arizona over-under win total 2.5, over minus 165, under plus 140. At a conference, kind of like we touched on with Colorado, not easy. They open the year at San Diego State. They host Mississippi State. They'll bring back Michael Leach to the, uh, the Pac-12. And then uh, the FCS game should be an easy win. Chalk it up there. Hang on. Let me look at the – oh, no, yeah, it's, North, it's North Dakota State. <laughs> Great. Okay. Uh, they do get five Pac-12 home games, Colorado, Oregon, USC, Washington State, and ASU. On the road, they'll get Cal, Washington, Utah, and UCLA. This isn't over for me, but I – um. I don't feel super confident about it just because of the schedule. Like, I think if you gave me an easier Mountain West team and an easier FCS team, and you could go two and one in the non-conference, I would say this could be a four or five win team. Um, I will say this. I think they beat Arizona State at home. Uh, They have a good chance to beat Cal on the road. They get Washington State and Colorado at home. I think those are winnable games. Like, I think if you if you can scratch one non-conference win, whether it's San Diego State or North Dakota State, um, I haven't done a ton of prep on Mississippi State yet. I, I'm guessing that'll be a loss. But if you go one and two in the non-conference, I think you feel good about getting this over. Yeah. So I'm going to go over. I think this will be a three or four win team. Yeah, I'm going over with you as well. 
um, just for I think that the offense will, will take steps. But even last year, this defense was fifth in the Pac-12 in, in yards allowed, and they return a lot, especially in their secondary. So I think their defense might be able to keep them some games. I mean, remember, right, this team almost beat Utah last year um, in Tucson. Yeah. I believe that was a one-possession game going into the fourth quarter. So I think you can gain momentum from that. Um, but I agree with you. I think over that the goal is to go probably one and two in the non-conference. But like you said, winnable games against Colorado, I think Washington State, ASU. Um, and may, who knows, maybe they get an upset um, with the UCLA, I doubt a USC, or maybe an Oregon. Maybe they, they pull off one upset that gets them to maybe four wins. But um, But yeah, I'm going with the over as well. All right, we move on to the Pac-12 North. First, we'll give you a little recap on the South. Uh, I have the under nine and a half wins for USC. Lucas has the over. Uh, the rest of them we are in lockstep on. We both have the over eight and a half for Utah and UCLA. We're both on the under five and a half for ASU, the under three and a half for Colorado, the over two and a half for the Arizona Wildcats. All right, the Pac-12 North now. We'll start with the Oregon Ducks, the over-under at eight and a half. That is the highest in the Pac-12 North, and you have a new coaching staff. Mario Cristobal gone to Miami. They bring over Dan Lanning, the defensive coordinator for the reigning national champion Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, he brings with him Kenny Dillingham, who was the OC at Florida State. So kind of a, a young uh, staff in Eugene. And uh, Dan Lanning and Kenny Dillingham bring with them a transfer quarterback. Bo Nix, former Auburn quarterback, transfers to Eugene. And uh, last I had checked, they are they will have a three-man quarterback battle uh, between former five-star quarterback Ty Thompson, a redshirt freshman, and Jay Butterfield, a former four-star prospect, along with Bo Nix. Um, two top running backs are gone, Travis Dye, C.J. Verdell. They do get Minnesota transfer Marquise Irving. Minnesota doing a nice job of supplying the other Power 5 schools with good running backs, so shout-out to, uh, you know, rowing the boat there. Um you do lose Kayvon Thibodeau, top uh, six draft pick uh, from the defensive line, but you bring back probably two of the best linebackers in the country, Noah Sewell uh, and Justin Flo. Lucas, your thoughts on the uh, on the Oregon Ducks? Yeah, Oregon's interesting for me. Um, I, I, I'm not a huge fan, as we've seen on this pod, of Bo Nix, um, you know, throughout his uh, illustrious career at Auburn, but I mean, they won, they made it to the Pac-12 championship game with Anthony Brown last year, who I thought was solid, but not anything special. Um, but I think they're going to, they're going to win games. I think similarly how they did a year ago, and that's going to be in the trenches. Um, their offensive line should be good. Once again, they were a finalist for the Joe Moore award last year, um, which is given to the best offensive line in the unit. They only lose really one starter um, from there. And as you mentioned, they do lose uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, but, uh, you know, Brandon Dorless, who was, you know, a first-team all-conference last year, is back. Um, they also brought in Sam uh, Tamani, who was uh, started at Washington. They bring in him as well. So I think this is going to be kind of a similar team that we saw. I just think, is there an adjustment? So their non-conference kind of going with the same trend we've seen with Colorado and Arizona. Their non-conference is not easy um, at all. Um, so I'm interested if they get off to a slow start how that um, percolates for the rest of the season. Um, but no, I think they have good pieces to build here for Dan Lanning's first year. I'm just wondering if, is it a ton of adjustment 
um, for them to really make a big push at the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, you lose a lot on offense. You know, Thomas Dye gone to USC, CJ Verdell gone to the NFL. Uh, four transfer wide receivers. Micah Pittman, as I believe, at Florida State now. They also yep. lose Johnny Johnson, Jalen Reed, and uh, Devon Williams. So you're going to have a lot of new skill guys on this team. And I'm guessing Bo Nix will be the quarterback. I, I don't think a pro, uh, a quarterback of his stature would, would transfer somewhere unless he was kind of given the wink wink inside track for the job and dillingham was his offensive coordinator too and at auburn in 2019 for his first year you lose cave on thibodeau you lose three starters in the secondary including both your starting cornerbacks so like there's a lot of questions roster wise uh for this team that being said so the over under is at eight and a half the over is minus 130 the under plus 105 as Lucas said, the out-of-conference isn't easy. You start the year in Atlanta playing Georgia in a quote-unquote neutral game. Uh, then you get Eastern Washington, who's actually a pretty solid FCS program, and then BYU. Um, you have five Pac-12 road games, four Pac-12 home games, but the Pac-12 schedule I don't think could be much more favorable. Yeah, No USC on the, on the, uh, the conference schedule. You get Stanford, UCLA, Washington, Utah at home. So Utah and UCLA both at home. On the road, Washington State, Arizona, Cal, Colorado, and Oregon State. So some very, very winnable road games, including Arizona, Cal, and Colorado. So the over-under is at 8.5. I'm going to take the over, and I think just because of the schedule. I mean, I, I just think it's hard for me to see two conference losses. Well... Now I'm kind of talking to myself. I'm, I'm, a, I'm going back and forth. Lucas, why don't you give your answer? This is the first for the pod. I'm, I'm going to need to reevaluate some things. I'm going to reevaluate. Um, so that's tough. I'm actually going to gonna go with the under um, eight and a half. And one of it is largely because we know probably that opening game that is probably going to be a loss. Um, though they could shock us. I mean, they shocked everybody going on the road and winning at the shoe last year and beating Ohio State. Um, but I just don't think, especially like you mentioned, like the question marks of wide receiver. And now Oregon's recruited as well as probably just about anybody in the Pac-12 um, over the last few years under Mario Cristobal. So I I believe that whoever they're playing at wide receiver is probably going to be pretty dang good. Um, that being said, working in a new quarterback, that's just brutal to have to go up against that. I know that Georgia defense lost like 12 first-round draft picks last year, but <laughs> – they pretty much are probably going to replace him with 12 future or 11 future first round draft picks. So um, I don't love that. You know, then you start, you know, pack 12 play. I'm a little bit higher on Washington state as we'll get to in a little bit. I think a lot of people, I think that could be a tough game out of the gate. Um, you do get UCLA at home, which I think is favorable and you get Utah at home. Um, but I think Utah's the best team in the pack 12. I just, if you start one and two, I could see them going like six and three in um, six and three or five and four. So I'm going to go with the, the under. Um, I think it might be a drop down. And like I said, I'm not super high on Bo Nix. I haven't been since he's really been at, at Auburn. Um, so I'm going to go with the under. Yeah. You know what? I, I think you kind of talked me into it. I, I think they lose to Georgia. They probably lose one or both of UCLA and Utah. I'm, I'm pretty high on UCLA. So I think they probably lose one or both of those games. And then at Washington State, at Oregon State, Washington at home. They pro- I mean, 
as we see in the Pac-12, everyone kind of beats up on everyone. There's not one dominant team. So I think six and three in um, Dan Lanning's first year in conference is very realistic. So I will take the under. Um, I'll take the under eight and a half. You convinced me. <laughs> you can uh, another- if you bet that. Uh, if you uh, hopefully it's not a lock because I, I don't feel great about that because it's still Oregon. But no, it is plus value though. It's plus one hundred five. So yeah, maybe I might. Go I don't, that. Who knows? I don't love it either. <laughs> um, another new first year, another new coach in the Pac-12 North, the Washington Huskies, led by Kalen DeBoer. Uh, he fills in for Jimmy Lake. It has been just a really interesting last about four years at the University of Washington. Chris Peterson retires in December of 2019. They have Jimmy Lake for the COVID season in 2020, and then last year was just a nightmare. They lose to Montana week one. They go four and eight. Jimmy Lake is gone, and they bring in Kalen DeBoer, who's had a really a, a kind of a, a meteoric rise. He was Indiana's offensive coordinator and and, and then – took the Fresno State job in 2020. Uh, he's guided the Bulldogs to a 12-6 and six record the last two years. Or, yeah, 12-6 and six record the last two years. Um, Lucas, kind of your uh, your thoughts on Washington. They are bringing in a guy you're familiar with from Big Ten country, Michael Penix. Yeah, who reunites with Kalen DeBoer, who was his offensive coordinator when he had uh, his breakout year, I believe, in 2019 at Indiana. Uh, but I think this could be a I, this should be a bounce back year for Washington. Uh, I don't think they were nearly at, at least talent wise they were nearly as bad as they were last year at four and eight. Once again, I think that was just a toxic situation going on, um, and we saw it at the end of the year with Jimmy Lake. Obviously, the frustrations boiling over there. It was just kind of a typical situation where a coach was just a little bit in over his head. I think with that program, but you bring in Kalen DeBoer, who had a lot of success. Um, at Fresno State, they're going to be better on that side of the ball. I almost can guarantee that because um, they were they were downright awful last year. It was one of the worst offenses I've seen in, in quite some time. Uh, but they bring back Michael Penix. They even bring back the starter from last year, Dylan Morris. If there's a, any um, – because Michael Penix does have an injury history if they do have to bring someone in. Um, and I know their wide receivers weren't great last year, but they were both two freshmen, uh, both in Roma Dunza and Jalen McMillan. Both had over 400 yards receiving last year as true freshmen. Um, so I think you could see them uh, bring you know a good step up. But they really got to get better at running the football. Uh, last year, this offense only averaged 98 yards per game on the ground. Um, that's just not going to win, um, especially when you're going up against more physical teams like Oregon, like Stanford like Utah. So I think they'll be better because I think on the defense, there are good pieces there. Um, they were still, they were still solid defensively last season. Um, so I think this is going to be a much improved uh, team and I'm actually interested to see them play, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. The, the Penix transfer was interesting. I mean, I know that Dylan Morris obviously wasn't very good last year. They also have a, a former high four star, uh, low five star, Sam, Sam Heward, um, son of Brock Heward or relative, I'm not sure if he's his son, maybe he's his nephew, relative of uh, a former uh, Washington quarterback, Brock Ewers. A lot of experience back along the offensive line, three transfers in at running back. Um, you do lose two highly drafted cornerbacks, Trent yeah. McDuffie and Kyler Gordon, but you kind of trust this program to produce good defenses. We'll see if that's the same in the Kalen DeBoer era, but under Chris Peterson and obviously Jimmy Lake, they produce some really good defenses. Uh, the out-of-conference schedule, Kent State at home, Portland State at home. Tricky one at home against Michigan State. 
Mel Tucker coming back to the Pac-12. Four Pac-12 home games, Stanford, Arizona, Oregon State, and Colorado on the road in the Pac-12, UCLA, ASU, Cal, Oregon, and Washington State. The over-under is 7.5, over minus 125, the under plus 105. I am taking the under, but eight, but barely taking the under. I, I think this will be a 7-5, and 6-16. Six and 16. Schedule sets up pretty well. You don't get Utah or USC from the Pac-12 South. Um, you do have to go on the road five times in conference. Michigan State will be kind of an interesting one that could kind of sway whether this is an eight and four team or a seven and five team. Um, I think this team will be vastly improved from last season, but I don't think this is an eight win team quite yet. I think that'd be a big jump. So I'm going to go under, but like I think this will be a bowl team. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you as well. Kind of the under, I think seven and five is kind of where I see them at, as you mentioned. Um, that could sway against Michigan State. Obviously, Michigan State had a great year last year, but I do think they're kind of a popular pick for people to kind of maybe regress a little bit this year just because they won so many one-score games. But as you mentioned, good draw from the South. Um, but like I said, I think going 7-5 uh, and five is really their goal because, um, you know, offense should be better. I do think the defense regresses a little just because you mentioned the losses in the secondary. They're also playing completely new players at linebacker. Um, they got a couple of transfers filling in there. So I think seven and five, um, you see some improvement. Um, I think that's a successful first year still for Kellen Labor. All right, moving on to the Oregon State Beavers, a seven and six team in 2021, seven and five in the regular season. First winning record and bowl appearance in 2013. Jonathan Smith has done a really, really nice job with that program. Actually, former Washington assistant who was the OC there under under Chris Peterson, um, Oregon State has really improved from kind of conference bottom dweller to a team that, as we talked about earlier, picked to finish fifth in the conference this year. They bring back Chance Nolan, who was their starting quarterback last year, threw for over 2,600 yards and 19 touchdowns. You have to replace B.J. Baylor. He was the first team all Pac-12 running back. They'll likely go with a three-back rotation there. Um you lose your top receiver, but you have some talent and depth back at wide receiver and four offensive linemen back. So a lot back on offense, 60% of the offensive line starts 96% of the passing uh, of the passing yards. Uh, Lucas, your thoughts on, uh, on Oregon state. Yeah. Ken, you mentioned really like what you see on offense, you mentioned that offensive line once again, kind of like um, Oregon. Uh, they were a finalist for the Joe Moore award last year for the best O-line group. Um, they do lose uh, Trayvon Bradford, their, their leading receiver, but they return both Trayvon Robinson and, and Tyjon Lindsay. Um, you know, they bring back their, their leading tight end from last year as well. I think the biggest thing is, are they going to be improved defensively? Um, very similar to kind of Colorado. We're not good at getting to the passer. Um, only 20 sacks a year ago. They fired Tim Tabazar with four games left in the season. Trent Bray took over and he'll be their defensive coordinator going this year. Um, but they do return, you know, their leading tackler in Omar Spates. Um, Isaac Hodges, who, is, who played on their defensive line two years ago, was one of their better D linemen, missed last year because of injury. He'll be back. So maybe that strengthens them. But I really like this Oregon. I like the trajectory uh, that Oregon State's taking right now. I think Jonathan Smith has done a fantastic job there. I think they're going to be a really fun team to watch. Um, 
you know, this, <laughs> kind of going with the uh, going with the trend. Non-conference is not super kind to them um, schedule-wise, but I think this could be a really, really interesting team uh, to watch this year. Yeah, let's jump into it. The uh, they start with Boise State at home, then at Fresno State. I mean, are, are, can we schedule any other Mountain West teams besides Fresno State, San Diego State, and Boise State? I mean, what's what is San Jose State doing? I mean, at this point, goodness gracious, what is like UNLV uh, or like Nevada? yeah, like UNLV could be good, right? Nevada, like let's play some of those teams. Can we not get Boise and and San Diego State every single year? Um, Montana State rounds out the non conference for Oregon State. Five Pac-12 games at home this year. They get USC, Washington State, Colorado, Cal, and Oregon. Four games on the road. They'll go at Utah, Stanford, Washington, and Arizona State. The over-under by FanDuel Sportsbook at 5.5. The over minus 180. The under plus 155. Lucas, what say you? Yeah, I'm going to go with the over. Um, 5.5. I think this is at least a bowl team. Um It'll probably be nerve-wracking because, like you mentioned, at the beginning of the year, it, that first five-game stretch is really brutal uh, with Boise State at Fresno. And then you, you start Pac-12 play um, with USC, and then you're on the road at Utah. you got to split uh, those first two non-conference games between Boise and at Fresno because I don't know if you're going to win any of those games against USC and Utah. But, no, I think this is a bull team because um, after that, it kind of eases up a little bit before they have to play Oregon in the finale. So, yeah, I think this team at, at, at worst is 6-6, six and six, and I think they're going bowling this year. So I'm going to take the over at 5.5. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think 6-6, six and six, not, is the, not that it's the floor, but I think 6-6 six and six is probably the most realistic. Yeah. I think as we'll get to, like, I'm not very high on Cal, not very high on Stanford. Um, the schedule from the Pac-12 South isn't super favorable. You do miss UCLA. Uh, you got to go at Utah. You do get USC at home, which is early in the season. Could be kind of a sneaky, yeah. you know, sneaky upset pick for Oregon State. So I think six and six is pretty likely. Um, you get ASU at the end of the season. They're probably going to be toast by then. Um, so... I was going to say, when I looked at ASU's schedule, the first thing I said, if they're playing Oregon State, is it in Corvallis? Because that's always an automatic loss for them. But I was like, oh, it's in Tempe, but it's at the end of the season where this team could be completely gutted. Uh, You get Colorado and Cal at home. I think think those are two very, very winnable games. At Stanford, very winnable. At Washington could be very winnable as well. So I like the over for Oregon State, and I, I see them getting back to a bowl game in 2022. All right, let's get to the Cal Golden Bears. Um, Lucas, the first thing I wrote down in my notes was that um, apparently Justin Wilcox turned down the Oregon job, um, which is is kind of an interesting little nugget there. He signed a new deal through 2027. Justin Wilcox in five years at Cal is 26 and 28. Um, the one thing I will say, and this is, is a bit of a theme that we haven't touched on in the conference, but COVID has wrecked the Bay area schools in terms of when they can practice, what's open, what's not, where they can, I mean, everything. Uh, Justin Wilcox and Cal was 15 and 11 in 2018, 2019. They're six and 10, the last two seasons, they were five and seven in 2021, one and three in the COVID sorting year in 2020. I think finally you're getting back to some sense of normalcy with them. Um, they just have not been able to score points. 23.8 points per game last year, 96th in the FBS. 
and they're losing Chase Garbers, who has been kind of a long stay at quarterback for them. Maybe that's a good thing. I probably doubt it. Um, they lose their leading rusher. Six of their top seven receivers in terms of yardage are gone. Um, they have 0% of their passing yards back. Um, <laughs> they have they have under 40% of their rushing yards and under 40% of their receiving yards. Basically, the offense is starting from scratch, which might be a good thing considering how bad they were. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I don't necessarily love that you don't really have anyone back on offense. Yeah. No. And kind of going back to Justin Wilcox, that that's a shocker. Just not just because he turned out Oregon, but he went to Oregon. Like that was his alma mater too. And Cal is not typically looked at as one of the better jobs in the PAC 12, but yeah, I'm with you too. It's, it's tough because even on defense, they weren't, they were, they were good last year, but they weren't great. Um, you know, they were 32nd in scoring defense, but they were 80th in sacks and they were 90th in tackles for loss. Um, I do expect them to still be good on that side of the ball just because Justin Wilcox is the head coach. But like you mentioned, a lot of losses on offense. They did bring in Jaden Ott at running back, who was very highly coveted recruit out of California. So I would expect him to play early, but yeah, I, I'm not sure. And I think, I think giving him that extension obviously gives, I don't think he's going to get fired if they don't make a bowl game this year. Last year, they probably make a bowl game if they don't lose that game to Arizona, where I think they had like 30 guys out because of COVID restrictions. Yeah. So they probably win that game if they, if they have a relatively healthy roster. So I still think the program was on an upwards trajectory before COVID. I think they could potentially get back to that, but yeah, you mentioned they don't have Chase Garbers. They were chasing with Jake Plummer or Jack Plummer, who transferred from Purdue. Um, no relation to Jake Plummer, um, but uh, yeah, wasn't particularly impressive at at Purdue. So yeah, I'm not sure really on this Cal team, as you can tell. Yeah, the over under five and a half. The over is plus a hundred. The under minus one twenty. Out of conference, they'll get UC Davis, UNLV, and a trip to Notre Dame. Uh, five games on the Pac-12 home slate, Arizona, Washington, Oregon, Stanford, UCLA. On the road, they'll get Washington State, Colorado, USC, and Stanford. So they miss USC, they miss Utah, but I'm still going under. Um, I don't think there is enough on this roster that will that I can confidently say will get them to a bowl game. Um, Jack Plummer is okay. I don't know if he's better than Chase Garbers and you have a ton of new players at wide receiver and new players at running back and the defense. You're right. Like should be pretty good. Like Justin Wilcox coaches a good sound middle to upper portion of the PAC 12 defense. Um, so I think this could be a five win team or a four win team, but I don't, I don't think they make a bowl game. Yeah, I'm with you too um, on the under, especially because, you know, that one, uh, their big non-conference game is at Notre Dame. I don't see them winning that. Um, like you mentioned too, I think it, it could be the same. It could be tough with Cal because if they do play good defense, which we both think they will, they might be in just about every game that they play. Um, that being said, I just don't see how they're going to outscore um, anybody, especially towards the end of the stretch. They're going to have, you know, they're going to have game, a three-game stretch where they're they host Oregon, they're at USC, they're at Oregon State, and then they finish off the year against UCLA. Those teams are going to score probably no matter how good your defense is. Um, besides maybe Oregon, that might be tough. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I think five and seven is kind of where the, the ceiling is at for this team. Um, 
I think four and eight is actually probably more likely. All right, going to the Washington State Cougars, um, a fascinating 2021 for Washington State in which their head coach was fired for not receiving the COVID-19 vaccine towards the end of the season. But this team held it together. Jake Dickert, who's now the head coach, was the interim head coach, did a phenomenal job. He went 3-1 and one in the Pac-12, um, and they were just they were just solid. Yeah. Um, beat Washington in, in the Apple Cup last year. Uh, seven and six for them in 2021. And I think one of the more intriguing transfers uh, in this conference is Cam Ward, Mm -hmm. who was a star at the FCS level at Incarnate Ward. One of the more higher profile quarterback transfers kind of got lost in the shuffle. He's an FCS guy, but they rave about him there in terms of his physical tools and how he throws the ball and where he puts it. And um, they're still going to probably score a lot of points. Got a lot of depth back at wide receiver. This should be a fun offense. And depending on how good Cam Ward is, like I think an upper half to upper third finish in this conference isn't out of the question for Washington State. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm actually fairly high on them for those reasons, for bringing in Cam Ward. But I also think just the job that Jake Dicker did last year. I mean – we talk about ASU this year as a team that might just give up. There, Wazoo had all um, all the excuses in the world to just kind of give up on that season. Um, they were able to make a bowl game, win seven games. Um, and also, too, Jake Dicker, I thought, did a really nice job with their defense. Um, as defensive coordinator, they averaged giving up almost 40 points a game in 2020. Only gave up about 24 and a half last year. With him back there, they also brought in um, – uh, Diane Henley, who um, had over 100, 100 tackles at Nevada last year, four interceptions. They bring him in at linebacker, too. They also brought in uh, Jordan Lee, um, who was a really good corner at Nevada last year as well, um, basically because they brought their defensive coordinator up there. I think this is a really interesting team, and I'm not super high on a lot of the teams in the Pac-12 North this year. Um, so I think Washington could surprise a lot of people this year. Yeah, they actually had the best red zone defense in, in the league last year. Um, pretty solid. They, they do have to replace a couple key guys on the offensive line. Abe Lucas was a third-round pick in the draft. Liam Ryan also has to be replaced. Both those guys started 42 games uh, for the Cougars. Uh, the out-of-conference schedule, Idaho, they go at Wisconsin and host Colorado State. See, that's a, a manageable Mountain West game. Colorado yeah. State. Let's just <laughs> be scheduling those Pac-12 teams. Um, they do get five Pac-12 games at home. Oregon, Cal, Utah, ASU, and Washington on the road in conference, USC, Oregon State, Stanford, and Arizona. The over-under is five and a half, over plus 105, under minus 125. I'm going to take the over, and I feel pretty good about it. I mean, I think this could be a seven or eight win team. It depends on if Cam Ward is is like legit and, and is, is as good or better um, then Jaden Delora who went to Arizona. Like this could be the, the schedule is pretty favorable. I mean, I'm guessing you're going to lose at Wisconsin, but you probably go two and one in the, in the out of conference. I mean, you're, you got Stanford and Arizona on the road. Like, I think you can win those games. Like Cal ASU, Washington at home, very winnable. Like maybe you get one of Oregon and Utah. Like I am kind of bullish on this team and I'm looking at that number plus one Oh five. That might be one that I, I pull the trigger on. So I'm going to go over five and a half for Washington State. I'm with you. 
hand in hand with their, with Urian. Um, I'm on the over with Washington State as well. I think they could be fun um, on offense. Yes, the offensive line does concern me a little bit, but they're also playing very similar um, to what they did under Mike Leach. Um, their offensive coordinator, Eric Morris, was the wide receiver coach there when Mike Leach was the head coach. So it's going to be more of an, an air raid look. Um, so you might not need your offensive line to hold their blocks as long. Um, and I think they're going to play good defense like they did last year as well with Dickert still at the helm. So I'm really, really bullish on them. I'm also going over. I think, like you mentioned, I think this is the seven, at least a seven-win team. All right, we round out the Pac-12 with the Stanford Cardinal. And uh, boy, what a – it's it's. I think with COVID, like, we really haven't understood the fall of the Stanford football program. I mean, this was in the middle of the last decade, like one of the best programs in this conference, yes. maybe the best program in this conference. All of the star players that they sent to the NFL – Lucas, they were three and nine last year, and they lost their last seven games. And this, these are their last four games. Utah lost fifty-two to seven. Oregon State lost thirty-five fourteen. Cal lost forty-one eleven. Notre Dame lost forty-five fourteen. I mean, they weren't even really competitive. Yeah. Um, three and nine last year, like I said. You have Tanner McKee back. I'm being told he has the physical tools to be an NFL quarterback. Okay. Um, they cannot run the ball. They finished last in the league in rushing last Stanford. Year. It's so it's just it's so weird. weird to me. Um their top two running backs also transferred. <laughs> I mean, I <laughs> one of which to USC, I believe. I think Austin Jones yes. yeah, transferred to USC. And then the other went to Missouri. How about this? Their defense the last three years in uh, in yards allowed per play, Ugh. 107, 112, 115. I mean, basically all of the good things Stanford had done under Harbaugh and in the first handful of years with David Shaw have just completely gone away. Like we mentioned with Cal, COVID certainly like the restrictions in the Bay Area, the restrictions within this conference haven't helped. But like this program has been in a downward trajectory for the last handful of years. So we'll see. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, going on that defense, you mentioned how bad it's been the last three years. They had the second worst rush defense in the Power Five. The only worst rush defense was Kansas last year. Yikes. Um, Stanford allowed uh, 235 yards on the ground. They're trying to improve their moving from a 3-4 to a 4-3, um, which I mean might help, even though reading their state of the program, it seems like they were, they're actually very thin on the defensive line. So I don't know how adding more on each play is going to be a benefit, but like you mentioned too, these, these Bay area uh, programs just got so crushed with COVID with the strict regulations that they were under. I mean, in that, in that state of the program article, I think David Shaw had said, this was the first year they've had like a true off season since pre COVID. Um, where they've had, they didn't have winter conditioning the last couple of years. And that just sets your program so far back. So I think kind of like Cal, like, I I don't, I think this is just kind of a a rebuilding year. Once again, they have pieces, um, you mentioned like with Tanner McGee, but they also get, you know, Bryson, uh, back and also Michael Wilson. Both of them were, were pretty productive wide receivers, but only played a handful of games last year. Um, when Bryson Tramian went down. That was really when their offense fell completely flat. McGee really did not have a safety valve to throw to. They also have one of the better tight ends in the big or in the Pac-12 as well. When you look at uh, Benjamin uh, Urosik, 
had a, almost 700 yards receiving. So there's pieces there, but as you mentioned, I, I don't really trust their offensive line, and I don't see any – there's nothing for me, especially with Stanford. They can't get quick fixes like USC and all these other – and Oregon can because transferring to Stanford is not easy. Um, you really have to be selective in that part too. So I'm not super bullish on those teams for, for that reason. I think it's another rebuilding year for them. Yeah, the schedule also is not easy at all. No. Uh, you start week one against Colgate. Um, the uh, the other non-conference games are at Notre Dame, and then they finish the year hosting BYU. Uh, the home slate for the Pac-12, USC, Oregon State, ASU, and Washington State. Uh, here are the road games for the Stanford Cardinal, Lucas. Oregon, Utah, UCLA, Washington, and Cal. Oh, and their bye week is week three, September 17th. So they'll play Colgate. They'll play USC at home bye week. And then here are their next like five games at Washington, at Oregon, home Oregon State, at Notre Dame, home Arizona State, at UCLA. I mean, it is it is a brutal, brutal conference schedule. To get Oregon, UCLA, and Utah all on the road is just brutal. Absolutely brutal. Um, all right, the over-under, four and a half, over plus 120, under minus 140. Uh, your pick is? Under. For the same yeah. reasons, I don't see this offense or this defense getting much improved. If they can't run the ball, they're not going to be able to hold uh, possession very long. Maybe some, see some improvement in the pass game with McGee and those receivers back. But like you said, this, this schedule is brutal. They could go one and two in the non-con. And then where are you going to get, you know, it's – where are you going to, I don't see where you're going to get four more wins. Um, so I'm going to go under, I think this, like you met, like we mentioned, it's really the, a rebuilding year. It's the first time they've had a full off season. I think they just try to build off of that. And maybe next year we start to see more progress from Stanford, but under for me. Yeah, I took the under as well. Uh, the combination of at Notre Dame, BYU in the non-conference, and then just five brutal road games in conference and an early bye week. It's just, it's a nightmare situation for David Shaw. I think it's a four or a three win team Uh, to recap the Pac-12 North before Lucas and I give our conference championship picks. uh, We're in lockstep on every single pick here. We both have the under eight and a half for Oregon, the under seven and a half for Washington over five and a half for Oregon state and Washington state, the under five and a half for Cal and the under four and a half for Stanford Uh, conference championship. Now the wrinkle this year is they will not have one team from the North and one team from the South. It is just the two best teams by winning percentage. I believe um, playing for the conference championship. I am going to go with, and, and this is something that I could feel really dumb about in about four months. I'm going to go Utah, UCLA, Mm. Utah Utah winning the conference. The trend that, um, I just I don't love picking first year coaches to win and and go to conference championship games. USC has all the talent, but we have to see it. Like we have to see those guys um, on the field together. And I could be wrong. USC could go eleven and one and and blow everyone out. And I could be looking foolish, but I think UCLA has been building something and building the last handful of years. And I think Utah is the best team in the conference. So I'm going to go Utah. Finishes like a ten and two, UCLA and USC are both like nine and three or eight and four uh, around there, and Utah wins their second straight Pac-12 championship. So 
I was wondering if you're because you were very, very high on UCLA in our preview. I like them too, but I'm also going to go with two teams out of the South, but I'm going with the other team in LA. I'm going to be um, what I think is kind of the popular pick, and that's going to be USC and Utah. I just think USC's offense is going to be probably the best in the conference. I think they'll be able to skate by with an average to below average defense because of how good their offense is. I think Utah's the most complete team in this league. Um, and I think they're going to be favored in pr- probably just about every one of their games that they play this season. And, um, I'm going to go for my conference championship preview. I'm going to have Utah at 11 and one and then USC at 10 and two when with Utah winning, potentially maybe securing a long awaited college football playoff. Wow. At okay. that point, I already, I already gypped it. I should have probably went 10 and two Utah, 10 and <laughs> USC because we all know the Pac-12 oh, camp. You know what's going to happen, right? You know what's going to happen. Utah's going to go eleven and one, and USC will be like nine and three or ten and two, and then USC beats them in the conference yep. championship. Yep, that's exactly. I I almost picked that. That was my other scenario was Utah USC, and I think if they get there, I would probably favor USC. Yeah, I think if USC is good enough to get there, they're probably rolling and they probably win the conference. But we'll see. Well, especially too because doesn't uh, Utah play them? Utah plays them fairly early. They play them before their bye week. Um, yeah. It's like their sixth game of the year. So, yeah, no, that, and that's going to be so Pac-12 if that happens, too, because people are going to be like, oh, the Pac-12, they might get a bowl game in, and then they're just going to – it happened to Utah, um, what was that, a few years ago. If they would have won, they probably would have made the playoff. Yep, they, they lost Oregon. Absolutely, yeah, they got absolutely torpedoed in the Pac-12 championship game. So. Yeah, that's such a likely scenario. I, I really want to pick that to happen. <laughs> so, it's just so incredibly packed well for that to happen yes. again. But um yeah, I mean this is it'll be interesting the next time we do a Pac twelve preview. What is it what does it look like? I mean, what what yeah. are the teams? It's it's gonna is, be really interesting. Is it the last year that the Pac twelve is like in existence next year? Because I'm yeah. assuming we're gonna know the Pac twelve is gonna make or the Big Twelve is gonna make some move by next year at this time. Um, who knows? We could be welcoming San Diego State and SMU to the league. In yeah. Who knows? Yeah. All right. 90 minutes on the Conference of Champions. Um, good stuff, man. Anything else before we say goodnight? Uh, no, I don't think uh, it was good running through uh, the Pac-12, uh, despite kind of the – kind of the – the, the shit that we throw at the Pac-12. I think it'll be a really, there's a lot of interesting storylines in this league, a lot of interesting scenarios with some of these first year head coaches. Um, and even with some of the lower programs, there's uh, interesting things to like about each of them. So um, just excited to finally get these games started. Less than a month away until week zero. Big 10 coming up next week. Um, we'll get to Lucas's conference and then we'll round out with the SEC. And then by that time, we're previewing games. So it'll be here before you know it. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to our Pac 12 preview. We'll be back next week talking about the Big Ten with Lucas Rody. I'm Ryan Back Lucas. Have a good night. Stay frosty.